This week we have Jesus cleanses the temple found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. This account is found other places in the other Gospels as well, and it seems like this did happen twice. So there are two different accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple, uh, once at the beginning of his ministry and once again at the end, even during Holy Week. Here we have the account of Jesus cleansing the temple at the beginning of his ministry, right after the miracle of turning water into wine. And as I've pointed out before, the miracle of turning water into wine is an important prelude to the account of Jesus overturning the money changers, because how were his disciples supposed to know that Jesus had the authority to do this? The miracle at the End of the miracle of turning water into wine, it says that this beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee, and his disciples believed in him. So they had the word of God confirmed in Christ through that miracle that he was the Messiah, the one to come. Of course, Nathaniel had already confessed that even before the changing of the water into the wine. But that changing of water into wine reaffirmed that truth and thus prepared the disciples to follow Jesus even when he, in a very real sense, overturns not just the money changers, but what he's really doing is overturning the authority of the Jewish priests uh, and showing that he has authority even over those who had been given authority through the Old Testament Levitical laws. And you're going to see that come up again after Jesus uh, overturns the money tables and drives the buyers and sellers out. So John 2, verses 13 to 22, law and gospel in this account. We often make God's house unholy through our attitude and our actions as the Jews did. But Jesus cleanses his temple, which in our case is our hearts and makes them set apart for God. We often talk about the sanctuary. Uh, we often talk about things that are holy, uh, things that are sacred. Uh, the word sacred means something that is holy or set apart for God. It's supposed to be kept separate from the dirt of our everyday lives. And so we do often wear nice clothes to church. We don't do that as much these days as we used to in the past, but it, it, we do often wear our Sunday best. It's an expression, right? Because we're coming before God and we don't want to come before God in the filth of our everyday life, but we want to come before God in the cl clean holiness that we have through Jesus Christ. And so what we wear reflects that attitude that we're not going to come in our dirt before God, but having been cleansed, we're going to appear before God. Now, of course, what's important isn't our outward clothing, but our inward heart and our inward spirit. And that is cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ and by faith in him, because Jesus died for our sins, not by what we wear outwardly. So we often make God's house unholy through our attitude and actions, but Jesus cleanses and sanctifies us through the washing through by being washed through his blood as he did cleanse the temple in our account today. Starting with verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. 
When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So what's going on here? The Passover, of course, was a festival commanded by God in the Old Testament through the Levitical laws. And the people were supposed to bring certain sacrifices to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. What made that especially difficult at the time of Jesus was that there were many Jews living throughout the Roman Empire, uh, even some as far away as what we now call Spain. And bringing animals on such a long journey all the way from Spain all the way to Jerusalem, that would be difficult even these days. Well, you can make that journey in probably a couple hours. Uh, but it would be difficult to bring animals in the plane, right? It was very difficult for the Jews in those days to bring animals to sacrifice from such a long ways away. And so the practice developed quite naturally that instead of bringing the animals with them, they would come to Jerusalem and buy the animals there and then bring them up to be sacrificed. Now, this in and of itself was not a bad thing. However, there are a couple of things going on that do make it really a bad thing. First of all, this, these weren't farmers in the local area just bringing sheep along to sell to out-of-town visitors. But the priests themselves had not only gotten involved, but had taken control of the business. And the priests had made it their business to make sure that those who were coming bought the animals and the sheep from them so that they, the priests, would make a profit uh, and could keep the money for themselves. So this was contrary to God's law and God's word. God provided for the priests in a specific way in the Old Testament, according to the Levitical laws, and they were supposed to get their livelihood, their food, uh, what they needed for this daily life from those, those means that God had provided for them, taking a certain part of the offering once it was brought to the temple. But the priests are going outside of what God commanded. They are not content with what God provided. They are using their position as priests, as those who are supposed to dispense God's grace to take money from the people and make themselves rich. And so they, they, they standing in the seat of God, they, they as the representatives of God, are representing God in this way that what God really cares about is taking people's money. Uh, and so not only were they being greedy, but they were really giving this impression of God as, as a God who what he really cares about is how much money you give to him. They were defaming God's name through their actions. Another problem here is that this was happening in the court of the Gentiles. So think about this for a minute. The Jews, the priests, the Levites who are in charge of this wouldn't allow these money changers and these people buying and selling animals, they wouldn't allow them into the inner temple where the Jewish men themselves worshipped, but they did allow them in the outer courts where the Gentiles and the women were to worship. So what does that say about their attitude? It shows a, a, a very reprehensible attitude that, well, our worship is good and sacred, and our worship needs to be kept free of these distractions. But it doesn't really matter if all these things are happening in the outer court where the Gentiles and the women worship. It got, you know, their worship is not really as important as ours. And so just the very fact of where it was happening was was really blaspheming God's word as well and what God had intended and what God wanted. 
And it was distracting, of course, very distracting to those who were supposed to worship out there. That was their only place of worship. They were not allowed to come in to the inner temple. Uh, and yet they couldn't really effectively worship out there with all this buying and selling and money changing going on. And not only the noise and the confusion, but just the court would have, there wouldn't have been a lot of room left for them to worship either with all these stalls and booths set up. So there's a, a number of reasons why uh, what's going on here is very wrong. And sometimes this account is taken a little bit out of context. And the idea that we get from it is, well, you can't buy or sell anything in the temple or in the church. So you should never sell anything in the church. And that's not quite what we should take away from this. Uh, really what's going on here is more like what was happening in the medieval ages in the Catholic church, where the Pope was keeping for himself the right to forgive sins and then was basically selling that right. Well, I'll forgive your sins if you give me money. And so instead of dispensing God's grace freely as God intended it to be, uh, God, Jesus paid the price for the forgiveness of sins and he wants us to give it freely. You freely you have received, freely also give, he tells the disciples. Uh, he gives it to us for free so we can give and give that that grace of God and that forgiveness of sins to all who need it. Uh, but instead, of course, in the, the Catholic Church was hoarding that right to themselves so that they could use it to make earthly money, which was very, very wrong. So a more precise analogy to our current situation would be if a member of the church came to me and confessed some sin and I said to them, well, <clears throat> I'll forgive you, but you have to pay me $1,000 or something like that. No, I receive my living through the church, through the goodwill offerings of the church. Um, I don't need to charge for my services. That's the whole reason why the church pays me a salary to provide for my living so that I don't need to charge individuals uh, for services that I render. And, and that, that would be wrong. That would be uh, very much contrary to God's, God's will, of course. Uh, well, I'll, <clears throat> I'll show up and um, read you a daily devotion, uh, but only if you pay me so much money to do it. Uh, we don't dispense God's grace for money like that, which is really what was going on here. And so it was the fact that uh, the priests themselves were, were kind of taking control of this and using it to make money, and the fact of where it was happening that really caused it to be such a, a terrible thing, destroying God's name, not only, not only making God's house an unclean house of business, but even defaming and destroying God's name in front of the people as well as distracting from worship. Verse 17, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. One of the things that some people find odd about this account is that it's so it seems so different from the way Jesus normally acts. Oh, Jesus, they say, is oh, loving and understanding and, and never attacks or confronts anyone. Well, that's not really true, is it? There are other occasions where Jesus directly confronts people. There's no other occasion where he is um, what you might say violent, although I'm not sure violent is quite the right word here. He does use a whip, uh, but there's no, nothing in scripture that says he actually hurt anyone. Uh, but he does use a, a whip to drive them out. So it, it is possible they actually, you know, maybe nibbed, nibbed somebody's toes or something with the whip. Uh, we, don't, we don't know for sure. But it, it seems incongruent with uh, so much of what the other things we, we read about Jesus. However, it really isn't, is it? Because Jesus is, 
his goal is uh, for the love of the people and the, for love of the Gentiles and the women who have to worship in that place. That's one thing. But even more importantly, love for God in his word and his name. This was the place where God's name was to be proclaimed. And the proclamation of that name was very much tarnished uh, by what was going on here. And so for the sake of the people, Jesus does this. Uh, he he is the champion of the people, one might say, the ultimate champion of the people, right? Uh, Jesus said they were, he says of the people that they were like sheep without a shepherd. These are the men, the Jewish leaders who are supposed to be leading the people and teaching them about God's grace are more concerned with making money for themselves than they are with actually being good shepherds to the people. And so Jesus opposes uh, especially what they're doing here, but he also opposes them many other places as well, even if he doesn't do it with a whip. Not only that, but we see that this, it was foretold. Uh, this was a, a direct fulfillment uh, from Psalm 46. Zeal for your house has, has eaten me up, and Jesus showed that zeal in a very outward way here as well. Verses 18 to 22. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build the temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Jesus is, of course, the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple. In the Old Testament, the temple was where God dwelt among his people. But now here is Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. The temple, like all the Old Testament Levitical laws, was a foreshadowing of Christ. And Christ points the Jews to this fact. He says, what, they say, what authority do you have? And Jesus says, I am the temple. I am the place where God dwells. And I will prove it because when you destroy this body, I will raise it up again. And so he points them to his resurrection as the ultimate proof. We've already seen the word of God that foretold, that prophesied that he would do this thing. And the word of God itself should have been enough authority for the Jews to recognize Jesus's authority, but they don't really want to believe it. Uh, and so Jesus points them to the ultimate proof of his authority, the resurrection after three days. If someone can raise himself from the dead, that pretty much proves that he is God. The fact that Jesus rose, raised himself from the dead proves that he is God, and therefore he does have the authority to do these things. Notice that the Jews don't bother to argue with Jesus over the morality of what he was doing. They don't argue whether the the money changers and the people selling the animals should be driven out. The only argument that they ask is whether he is the one who should be doing it. And they must have had some guilty consciences there recognizing that what was going on here was not good and was not right. That They don't even bother to argue about the morality of it. They only argue about his authority. And as we mentioned before, the priests, the descendants of Aaron had the authority from scripture to be the ones in charge of the temple. But of course, they were failing in their duties. And even if they hadn't been failing in their duties, their authority was only a placeholder until Christ came. 
Christ now takes up his authority as the Son of God, his authority over even uh, the, the, the Levitical priests, the, the Aaronic priests uh, descended from Aaron, uh, that, who was given the, the priesthood in the Old Testament. So what do we learn from this account? We learn that we should not uh, destroy God's temple. We should not make God's temple an unholy place, but we ought to preserve and keep it as a place of worship to God. Now, of course, we don't worship in the temple in Jerusalem, but instead God has dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he dwells among us in the church. The church is not the building. It's the Faith Lutheran Church itself, this building here at N1521 State Road 73 or N1529 State Road 73 is not uh, the true church. The true church is God's people. Christ has come and made his home among us. We ourselves are the temple of God, which the New Testament scriptures make very clear. Uh, do you not know that you are God's temple and that your body was bought at a price? We dishonor and defame God's temple when we dishonor and defame God's name among us. We bear God's name uh, to other people. And just like the priests were misrepresenting God by making God a God of, of profit and of money, uh, so we dishonor God's name whenever we portray God in our lives and in our actions in a way that's incongruent with our claim to be his children and the people of God. We also uh, sin like the Jews do whenever we distract or prevent others from worshiping God. Now here I'm not talking about, you know, <clears throat> uh, you're in church and maybe your child uh, gets upset and starts crying and something. That's not the kind of distraction I'm talking about. That happens, and that's not a big deal. What's a much bigger deal is when our attitude gives other people the impression either that they're not welcome at church uh, because we look down on them or discourage them, like the Jews were doing, right? They were their attitude was saying, well, the, the worship of the Gentiles and the women is just not important. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they, we can set up our booths of trade in their place of worship because uh, they don't really matter. We're the ones who really matter. If we show that kind of attitude towards other people, like, uh, you're not really good Christians like we are. Your worship doesn't really matter. Uh, then we are committing the same sin what the Jews did here. Or if our actions in church or the way that we act towards other people make them see the church as not really a place of love and forgiveness. Uh, so instead of portraying Christ's love and forgiveness, we portray an attitude of, well, if you're not perfect enough, uh, if you're not up to my level, then you're not really, really welcome here. So by our attitude and by our actions, uh, we far more often distract people from the true worship of God than what happens when, well, maybe a, a child is crying in church or or some other noise happens in church or something like that. That's kind of minor uh, compared to the much more important our attitude towards uh, other people. And so we want to show Christ's love and forgiveness in our life as well. And of course, we fail to do that very often. Uh, we sh fail to show an attitude of love and joy in Christ uh, to other people. We are not, we, we do not honor God's name in our hearts uh, and in our actions but Jesus came to cleanse the temple. As he cleansed the Old Testament temple, he cleanses us by his blood, uh, having died for our sins. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson this week. Let me know if you have any questions.